How are we doing this morning? We are only like eight days away from Christmas, right? And it's coming up. And what we all love about Christmas, we love the, you know, just the energy of it, the atmosphere. We love the presents, the food. We also love the songs, right? Is even if you don't acknowledge it, we love Christmas music. Is it okay if I ruin a Christmas song for you? I didn't hear yes. Yeah? Okay. <clears throat> Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? Who's ever heard this song? All of us, right? Or most of us. This song, I just read an article this morning. They're calling it the most biblically illiterate song ever written, which is a, a lot to say. But what's funny is I, I heard this on the radio, and it's like, Mary, did you know? And question after question after question she knew all these things. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? She knew that. Why? Because only Jesus, only the Savior, only the Messiah was said to be able to heal the blind. Uh, Mary, did you know that when you kiss your, la- your baby boy, you would kiss the face of God? And it's like, how do we know all these things? How do we know that Mary knew? We read our Bible. And if we know our Bible, we know... Uh, that Mary knew exactly what God wanted her to do, that she had a specific task, specific job that no one else will have. But in that, we read the second half of Luke chapter one, where we picked off last week, and we know that the Christmas story, the Christmas story does not begin with the announcement of Jesus being born, but there's another birth that God announced through an angel, and that is the birth of John who would actually prepare the way for Jesus. And John's parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, Zechariah was a priest who was in the temple, and he was serving in the temple one day, and an angel came to him. And the angel told him, all right, Zechariah, you are going to have a child, and he will bring great joy, and he will prepare the way for the Savior. And him and his wife, they were old, and supposedly past the years of being able to have a child. And so he's doubting. And he even tells the angel, he asked the angel, how can I know this? Like, are you sure? Like, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. And the angel says, hey, I'm telling you what's going to happen. And because you've doubted, you will not be able to speak until these things happen. So for the next nine months, uh, Zechariah couldn't speak. And usually after the priest would uh, serve in the temple, he would go outside and there's people waiting for him and he would usually give, uh, or he would say something. He'd give a blessing, give a benediction, and and he couldn't. And so he went home and his wife Elizabeth spent the first five months of her pregnancy uh, just away from everyone else, didn't really tell people, and just thankful to God. And it was around six months later after the announcement that the same angel Gabriel went to another person, went to Mary, and had a similar announcement. That's where we pick up, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So Gabriel... Take two, he goes to Mary in a town called Nazareth, and just a small, maybe a couple hundred people, 
pretty insignificant town, nothing really happening there. It even has a reputation for just being not so great. If you read John 1, Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, goes to his friend Nathaniel and says, hey, I found the Savior. He's here, he's alive, and he's from Nazareth. He's like, Nazareth? What good can come from there? Nothing can come from Nazareth that's anywhere positive. Little did he know that Philip was right. And it says that there was a virgin named Mary engaged to Joseph. And Joseph was uh, related to King David. And it says they were engaged. Now, engagement for Jewish people 2,000 years ago was a little different than engagement for us now. That actually, if you were engaged, so for Mary and Joseph, they're engaged, they are technically legally married. That Joseph has legal responsibility for Mary. And the only way uh, to break that off is actually through divorce. That today, if we're engaged, or if, if two people are engaged, you can just kind of throw the ring back and say, I'm done, and leave. But for them, it was a way bigger deal. There was more commitment there. And usually that first step of being engaged lasted a year. And so you were legally married, but you did not live together and you did not sleep together until that year was up and then they joined. Uh, two years ago, I was speaking around this time in our Christmas series in December. And uh, I was talking about some part of this story, Mary and Joseph being engaged. And two years ago when I was speaking, I was dating my now wife, Amanda, and what I almost did, almost, 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 I had the ring at that time, and I actually proposed like a week later, but I almost had the best sermon illustration you've ever seen. I almost was like, Mary and Joseph were engaged, kind of like this, and I was going to walk down, drop a knee, and then all of you be crying, it'd be a whole thing. But uh, I chickened out, I didn't do it, uh, but just so you know, that's what I was thinking two years ago. The story keeps going. Verse 28. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So just like Zechariah says that she is deeply troubled. She's freaked out. She's confused, not only because there's an angel standing there, but because of what he says. He calls her favored woman, and she's going, what could this mean? What is this? What's he trying to say? Why am I favored? And to be favored means to be shown favor by God, and that word favor, it just means undeserved blessing. It means God gives you something good, even though you really don't deserve it. And that word favor is actually the same word as grace. And we probably are familiar with that word. Ephesians 2 says that for, for we are saved by? Through faith, right? We're saved by grace, that God gives us the gift of salvation even though we don't deserve it. So if she is shown favor by God, then that means she's uh, receiving a special blessing and that favor came with God himself. So that's what the angel's trying to tell her is, hey, you are, God is showing you grace. Mary, God is with you. In verse 31, we keep going, says, now listen, she's getting her attention. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. In summary, this is no ordinary kid. That you will name him Jesus. And Jesus means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is that personal uh, name of God. That Yahweh saves. And that's specifically brought through Jesus. That's why that's his name. And he will be called great and son of the most high. So he'll be the son of God. And he will be given the throne of his father, David. In other words, that Jesus is Israel's true king. Jesus is who David was promised. Jesus, who his kingdom is not going to be by military or politics or violence. But Jesus' kingdom will be ruling over all creation and reigning over everything that he made. And also leading a people who willingly humble themselves and want to serve and follow him and accept his free gift of salvation. And his kingdom, by the way, nobody will be able to stop it. His kingdom will be unmatched. His kingdom will be unrivaled. His kingdom will have no end. Mary, that's your child. And as crazy as all that was to probably hear, in verse 34, she asks a pretty valid question. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And if you're reading this or hearing this, to me, that sounds awfully similar to another question that we heard from someone else who was talking to an angel. Do you guys remember what that was? Zechariah, when he was told by Gabriel that him and his wife are going to have a kid, he asked the angel, how can I know this? And because of his doubting in that question, the angel said, okay, because of that, you can't speak for nine months. And then Mary asked a very similar question, how can this be? Zechariah said, how can I know this? Mary says, how can this be? And the angel doesn't tell her to zip it. Like he just <laughs> goes on and, and says, oh, Mary, hey, don't worry. God's got you. It's all great. And it's like, why is that okay? That seems a little bit like favoritism or something going on. But as close as they seem, there does appear to be a different heart behind the two questions. That Zechariah is saying, how can I know this? Like, how can I know this to be true? I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Mary says, how can this be? She knows it's going to happen, but she just doesn't know maybe all the details. So Mary is not doubting that God will do it. She's unsure of how God will do it. And even how the angel speaks to both of them, we, um, we kind of see that played out. In verse 35, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says, See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So the angel says, Hey, Mary, there won't be a human biological father. God will be the father. And if you want a little more evidence, God's already doing unlikely amazing things. How about your 
relative Elizabeth, that apparently it was impossible for her to have a kid, but she is six months pregnant, that God's already been doing the impossible. And that's where verse 37 says, nothing is impossible with God. Now, if we remove any context and we just take Luke 137 out of the Bible, just rip it out, apply it to our lives, we have a pretty good life, right? Like you can do anything with God. But that is not a go-ahead for us to attempt and to conquer anything in our life. What that verse is saying is that whatever is needed to accomplish the will of God, his plan, his purpose for creation, God can do it. That if he wants to defy the laws of baby making, he can do it. And he will and he has. And so we see an angel telling this girl who should not be able to have a baby that she's going to have a baby. This should bring to mind a verse that we read last week, Isaiah 7.14. This was hundreds of years before Jesus. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, or God with us. And so this idea of a virgin birth is huge. This is something that needs to be true for Jesus to be who Jesus is. Because if Jesus is born of just Mary and Joseph, uh, normal mom and dad that love each other very much, and they have a baby, like Jesus, what that means for him is he's a sinner, just like every one of us. And if Jesus is a sinner, then how can he deal with my sin when he has his own debt to God that he needs paid and forgiven and taken care of? And so Jesus is born in this miraculous, only God way. And we read about that here in, in her response to something so crazy, something that's never been done and never will be done again. She says she's ready to serve. And she's ready to follow God and follow his plan for her life. And even though she doesn't know the cost, she moves forward. She says, yes, I'll do it. I'm your servant. May it happen as you've said. And all the things that, even though God's saying, hey, this is a sure thing. You're going to have a child. You're going to name him Jesus. He'll have a kingdom that has no end. That may be sure to her in her mind. But what's not sure is, okay, is Joseph going to believe me? Is my fiance going to believe me? And is he going to stay with me? Is he also going to bear the shame of my now just ruined reputation when I walk uh, in public or when I see my friends, when I see my family, are they going to think that I'm crazy? She probably was not looked at the same by her society, by her town. It's a small town. Remember, everybody knows everybody. Mary probably took on a, took on a lot of heartache just because nobody believed her. Oh, that's the girl that had a baby from God, you know? Like everyone views her as, no, she cheated on a great guy in Joseph. And she doesn't know all those details, but even though it was inconvenient for her plan for her life, she said yes. And so the Christmas story starts with the announcement of two babies, very similar, but both moms, both parents really, agreed to do what's right. And Mary had to see Elizabeth for herself. Verse 39, in those days... Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house 
and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what has spoken, what he has spoken to her. And so she probably found out about Elizabeth for the first time when Gabriel, the angel, told her. And we don't know exactly why she went to visit her, but my guess is out of anyone on the planet, who could probably relate to her the most? It's probably her relative Elizabeth, right? Like, hey, Elizabeth, I know this is going to sound weird, but I was visited by an angel. Yeah, I know. My husband had the same thing. <laughs> like, she can probably relate. Hey, I'm going to have a baby, and it's God's baby. Yeah, no, I believe you. Like, nobody else probably did, but Elizabeth, she did. As soon as she walked to the door, and they're probably able to share their emotions, their stories, just connect on that level. And so it says Mary walks through the door, and Elizabeth is six months pregnant with her baby, John, who we know to be John the Baptist. It says they're both excited. And it says that the baby that John somehow... It says is, is led by the Spirit along with his mom. But John knows that Mary walks through the door, which means that Jesus walks through the door. And the baby leaps for joy. That uh, he is so just excited and notices that, hey, Jesus and Mary, they're in the room. And there is a physical response there. Um, my wife, Amanda, is now, I believe, 19 weeks pregnant. And so we're expecting our first child on the way. And so they'll be doing, yeah, thank you. Go us. Um, and she's just now starting to feel like the kicks. And so for us, we're new parents or, and everything's new and exciting and magical, right? And so she's starting to feel the kicks and there'll be, once or twice I've walked in the door, like the front door and she's on the couch. And as soon as I say something, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but as soon as I say something, she's like, oh, there's a kick. And so that's normal for pregnancy. But this is, this word leap, it means to joyfully jump. So Elizabeth is experiencing something that is, she's like, okay, this is not your average just baby kick. Uh, jumping Johnny's doing cartwheels in there. And he is excited. And Elizabeth is even thrilled that she gives respect to Mary and encourages her and lifts her up with her words. And Elizabeth even distinguishes Mary from other women. That she says that you are blessed, that God has chosen you, God has shown you grace and favor, and he's with you. And this is where we have to be careful a little bit that just to remember that Mary is, is not greater than us, but Mary does have a task like I mentioned earlier, that nobody else will be able to do, that God has chosen her to give birth to our Savior, but Mary herself is not worthy of eternal praise or worship, that she is someone that we should look to as an example, an amazing woman of faith that loves God and obeys him, but she is still herself a sinner in need of a Savior. She just happens to be giving birth to that Savior. 
And even in, uh, in Luke 11, when Jesus is, is preaching and teaching and doing his ministry, somebody yells out, hey, blessed is your, basically, blessed is your mother who gave birth to you, who nursed you. And Jesus responds, he doesn't put Mary down, but he does add some perspective. He says, rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That anyone can be blessed if we choose to obey God and have faith in him. And so Mary is not taking this credit. She's giving it to God. And, and this is where herself, she starts reflecting that she's um, you know, met Elizabeth and Elizabeth said, hey, God has chosen you. It's great. How awesome is it that the mother of our God would come to my house and visit me? And Mary, she is beginning to reflect on the goodness of God. And she actually uh, bursts out in song. <laughs> I don't know how often that happens to you guys, but she bursts out in song and she is proclaiming God's goodness. It's a prayer. It's praising God. It's a song. And we're not going to read the whole thing, but there are a lot of references to the Old Testament. Like Mary knew her Bible. She didn't have to go and, and make her prayer sound good and like, okay, what did that verse say? Like this was just in her heart and it kind of overflowed as she was thankful Verses that she had memorized, and, and we realize a lot about Mary, that she understood a few things. One, she, under, she understood her need for God. This is how her prayer, her song starts. She says, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. There's humility there. She isn't going, look at me. I'm so great, God has chosen me, aren't I so lucky? She's saying I am a humble servant, that God is the one worthy to be praised. And you have to wonder, like if anyone else was chosen to do this job, if it would have gone to their head. You know what I mean? Like if another woman was chosen to be the mother of our Savior that would be responsible for redeeming all of humanity, would it go to their head? Would they be thinking, well, if I didn't do my job, then there'd be no savior. So if you're saved, you're welcome. Like Mary, she, she's so humble. She only wants to magnify and glorify and lift up God. Not only does she understand her need for God, but she understands God himself and his character. In verse 49, she calls him the mighty one, that he is merciful, that he is strong, that he is generous, that he is wise. And it's all reasons to praise him, that he's worthy and holy and set apart and greater than us. And she also understands her history. She knows her Bible. Verse 54, and this is how she ends. It says, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. So she knows, she's able to look back and she knows how God led his people and protected his people and saved his people. And because of what God has done, she knows what God will do. That looking back and having confidence in the past gives her just firm assurance for the future. It's just this time, as God begins to unfold the salvation plans, she gets to be a part of it. And so after her song, we're, we're not told how these uh, next moments go, but it says that she stays for three months 
with Elizabeth. Uh, around the time that John is born, and I don't know if she stays before or after, but she leaves and goes home to where she doesn't know how people will receive her. She doesn't know what's going to happen when people find out that she's pregnant. But either way, she is willing to be viewed poorly to be used by God. And so Mary goes home, but the story stays with Elizabeth. Verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his dad. But his mother responded, no, he'll be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. So through this older couple, a barren woman and a mute man, like they're able to have this seemingly impossible birth that everyone around them, that Luke makes note of this, everyone around them, they're amazed that God is so clearly in this birth. And they're going, wait a minute, if God is doing something crazy just through the birth of this child, what's going to happen with the life of this child? You know, God definitely has his hand in this. So everyone's joyful, everyone's excited for them. And John's born, and then eight days later, uh, they went to have him circumcised, which was what the Jewish people did. And everyone was surprised by the name they chose. Normally, you name your kid, you know, Zachariah Jr., or something that's already existing in your family, something that means something that kind of passes down, right? But she says, no, his name is John. And everyone's like, no, you can't name him John, right? There's, you don't have a relative John. And so they really don't want to accept her answer. And so they motioned Zechariah over and said, all right, what's the baby's name? And he still can't speak, remember? So he grabs a tablet and writes on it, turns around, and says his name is John. And in that moment, it says his mouth is opened. It's been nine months since he's been able to speak. And now once he obeys God, his voice is back. And the first thing he says is, is, the first words that he says, he uses them to give glory to God. And I sometimes think what would be maybe, like if you couldn't speak for nine months, what would either Zechariah or somebody's first words be? He didn't say, uh, guys, <laughs> I'm back. Woo, that was great. Or hey, there was an angel in the temple. It was crazy. He doesn't go to his wife and say, hey, honey, uh, the last eight days have been kind of rough for me. The baby's been keeping me up. Can we like just, you know, help out with that? He doesn't do that. He, he uses his first words to praise God. First thing is on his mind, is on his heart. And he, like Mary, has a prayer and has a song that he is so grateful and has so much joy built up that he can't help but sing of God's goodness. And you remember in the temple, usually when they left, and they went outside to meet and greet the people, they were to give a blessing, right? He waited nine months, and here it is. Verse 68. 
Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. Like Mary, he's understanding God is bringing his plan of salvation. He's rolling it out with us that he is using us and we're so grateful for that and only he can do it, only he should be praised. And all this would come through his child, John. But the emphasis that he's thankful for is not, look how great my boy is. He'll lead the way for the Savior. He will do that. But his emphasis on is, look how great my God is. He ends with verse 78 and 79. Because of our God's merciful compassion. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. There is a confidence in God's plan here that he's saying, although there's darkness that people are in their sin, he says the dawn from on high will visit us. That's another name for Jesus. He's saying, even though darkness was present, the Son of God will rise and lead us to peace. That God is using my Son to lead the way for the Savior to save me, to lead us into having a right relationship with God. And although this salvation is promised, it's probably not going to happen through babies, right? They've got to grow up a little bit. And that's where verse 80, the chapter ends this way. Talking about John. The child grew up and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And so John uh, was born and not only grew up a little bit, but not only grew up in the home, since he grew up in the wilderness. And so his mom and dad were old, if you remember, when, when they gave birth. And so they probably died pretty early in his childhood. And so he, that would explain maybe why he went Tarzan and just lived in the wilderness and, and he was out there and people thought he was weird and he was kind of an outcast of society. But at the same time, he was the one that was proclaiming the Savior to come and prepare the hearts of people. And not only did he just grow up, like verse 80 says he grew up physically, spiritually. He didn't just grow up to be a pretty good guy or, hey, and, uh, like... He grew up, Jesus refers to him in a way that he says in Matthew 11, that nobody who's been born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is not just, hey, he, he's, he's mature, he's a faithful guy. Jesus says there's no one greater besides himself. And that's the person that's going to lead the way for someone who is ultimately greater in Jesus. And we finish this, this chapter one and it ends with John growing up and preparing and setting the scene for Jesus to be born, which we'll talk about next week. But I read this story, all the verses we just covered, I read the people about Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth and John and even the people around them. Like what sticks out to me, and this may seem so simple, but these people love God. Like there is a joy about them that just because God is in their life and they understand that God is in control, they praise him. That so much so that they're joyful to the point of breaking out in song, Mary and Zechariah. That they've studied and they've memorized and they've stored scripture in their heart. 
that they are willing to obey God rather than please people. It says that as babies, they're jumping for joy. That they are so understanding of how mighty and awesome God is. And not only the people that are hearing from angels and God, but everyone around them is also rejoicing. That it's contagious, so much so that man, their neighbors, it says that amazement and fear came upon them. That they have a fear of God that they didn't have before experiencing and what God's doing in their lives, and they're joyful. And then I kind of ask myself, okay, these people are so obviously joyful. Like, do I find that much joy in God? Do I find this much joy in things of God? Am I thankful for him more than the comforts that I experience every day? Do I enjoy time in his word and prayer more than I enjoy just entertainment or sleeping? Like, do I mean it when I say that he is greater than any of my problems? Do I mean it when I say that I have faith and I trust God and, and I have a joy that should be outside of any circumstances that it should be unshakable? Do I actually believe and am, am I truly grateful for the, for not the idea, for the reality that God is able to do the impossible. Because I'm thinking about this, it's like what better joy can we experience? What better joy do we have that's not gonna fade, that's not gonna be temporary, that may be great in the moment, but nothing lasts, and we will not find any joy that is permanent outside of God himself. And maybe, like myself, maybe you're sitting here going, okay, yeah, I, I wouldn't consider myself like, terrible or miserable, but I don't know if I have the joy of God. And I had to ask myself the same thing. Okay, well, if I don't have it, if I'm not as joyful as these people here, and I have the same Holy Spirit, that they have the same Holy Spirit, then, then what's missing? What I'm realizing is that the joy that they have in this passage, it comes from obeying God. It comes from obedience. That's where it stems from, that Mary, when she is told, hey, you're going to have a child named Jesus, his kingdom will have no end, her response is, see, I'm the Lord's servant, may it happen to me as you have said. She obeyed God, and it led to joy. Zechariah, he was told, him and his wife are going to have a child. That child would be great to lead the way for a savior. And it wasn't until he obeyed God by naming his son John that the result was joy. The result was him overwhelmingly just being grateful and thankful and, and outwardly just <laughs> joyful. He was happy, all because of what God has done in his life. And especially Christmas, right? It's easy for me especially, but it's easy for us to get distracted, that we find things that we love, that things that we gotta do, that we gotta get done. And some of us, I believe some of us have forgotten how truly satisfying God is. That just giving our lives to him and saying, God, I'm your servant. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. May it happen to me as you have said. Some of us have forgotten the joy of saying yes to God. And so if you don't feel that joy, if it's like, okay, Christmas is supposed to be the most joyful time of the year, 
Not because of all the things that we get or get to do, but it's because it reminds us of the greatest gift that we have, that it's in Jesus. That he has lived and died for our sins, something that we could not ever accomplish on our own. So if you aren't feeling that joy, my question is, are you obeying God? Like I'm guessing if you don't have that joy, my bet would be, if you were to answer this question, maybe you would get closer to that joy that we're seeing in this passage. What is something or what is that one area that you have been delaying, that you've been kind of pushing off, that you know you need to say yes to God, but you haven't been doing it? Joy comes from obedience. Joy is on the other side of you forgiving that person even though they don't deserve it. Joy is on the other side of you using your words not to tear people down, but to encourage them. Joy is on the other side of you being more generous than maybe you would feel comfortable doing, more generous to somebody who needs it in this time. Joy is on the other side of obedience. And I just want to remind us that of that this morning. And obedience, it isn't always easy, but it's always worth it. And it leads us into example after example of how mighty and how great and how holy and how sufficient our God really is. So if you would, uh, stand with me and, and we'll pray and just thank God for his son. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful. God, we know that you, while we were still sinners, sent Jesus to bear our penalty, to take our sins, to be punished in the way that we deserve to be punished. And, uh, and we thank you for him most of all. And I pray that we would truly give our lives to you, God, that if we're feeling like, okay, I don't feel as close to you or I'm not as joyful or I don't have maybe what we're seeing in the people in this story of Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and John and God, we want that. We want to be joyful. We don't want to have anything less than the joy that you promise is a fruit of the Spirit. And, I got, and God, I pray that we would obey you, that we would give examples to our life of just how you take care of us and you lead us. And uh, as you've already done that in our greatest way of taking care of our sin. And God, I pray that you would restore joy to anybody who's missing it here today. And that only comes through your spirit after trusting in your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.